Are you looking for a way to give back this Christmas? The Disaster Services Corporation, a sister company of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, can use your help. Their program, House in a Box, provides new furnishings to disaster survivors and families who have fallen into situational poverty. Your gift provides beds, linens, dishes, pots and pans, dressers, silverware, bathroom setup, dinette, and a couch. Give the gift of a fresh start to a disaster survivor family this Christmas season by donating at svdpdisaster.org. The first letters of St. Vincent de Paul, svdpdisaster.org. Hey, Jesuitical Zach here. Hope you are going to have a Merry Christmas. Wanted to let you know that we've got a really exciting show coming up on our January 6th episode where we took your questions for a mailbag episode of Jesuitical. So thank you to everyone who sent those in. We just wrapped up recording it. It's a really fun conversation. So Jesuitical will be on a break between this episode and then. But if you want that mailbag episode a bit early, we're going to release that shortly after Christmas to our Patreon feed. And if you want to sign up for that, you can support the show at patreon.com slash americamedia. Hello, Merry Christmas, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. My name is Zach Davis, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Ashley McKinless. Hello. And we have very special guests on this week's podcast. Uh, first, we are joined by Maggie Van Dorn, the host and producer of Hark. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you for being here in person. This is yes. so exciting. And we're also joined by Father Jim McDermott, our colleague, and who is writing some companion pieces about some Christmas carols that go along with this season of Hark. Welcome back to Jesuitical, Jim. Thank you so much. Nice to be with you. Maggie, great to see you in person. Yeah. Yeah, it's, been, be it's been too long. Um, and I thank you all for being willing to try this random concoction <laughs> that I put together for us. Um, it's delicious. I stopped at the mm. liquor store on my way in and asked for eggnog, and they said First no one actually. Yeah, why, they, why they said no one actually likes that, <laughs> and we're out anyway. Um, so <laughs> I just, just sort of a contradiction. Yeah. Um, so I grabbed a couple things: uh, frangelico, peppermint schnapps, um, some cinnamon sticks, and I just kind of eyeballed a recipe, but I think it's I think it turned out okay. Yeah, does it it's, taste... it's alcoholic uh, mint chocolate chip ice cream. Does it taste sufficiently like of the season, though? <laughs> yeah, it feels like Christmas in a cup. All right, great. Well, cheers. It's so good to cheers. be with all of you. Cheers. 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 It's really good, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Not too He's strong. Got a head, <laughs> head <start> there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, really excited to get into this because this season of Hark is just outstanding. I feel like you guys have leveled up it, your your game. The narratives you're telling are super impressive. I'm wondering if you could just start by talking about your approach to Hark, this like blending of history and music theory. Where did that come from? And what did you take into, into the second season? Sure. Thanks, Zach. I was inspired a couple of years ago by... Song Exploder, which takes apart popular music. This is another podcast? It's another podcast, yeah. And I thought, how cool would it be to do that with our beloved Christmas carols? And so I didn't just want to 
tell the history and I didn't just want to try to explain the music. I wanted to merge sort of everything that you could possibly want to know about what makes A Christmas Carol so good and infectious. And I think that's what you get with Hark. I don't know if our strategy has changed. I'm so happy to hear that you think it is uh, even richer second season. But I think with every Christmas Carol, we are looking for a good story, something that usually emerges from the making of the carol itself. But so many of these carols have hundreds of years of history. So usually once you start digging, you're going to find an amazing story. Is there is there it. one, is there like a carol that you wanted to do and you were just like, there's actually nothing interesting at all about this. And we, and we really couldn't talk about it. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, well, I'd still really love to do Feliz Navidad. Mm. But there are some complications with rights because it's such a new song. Right. Uh, Everything else is pretty much in the public domain. It's public right? domain because it's like hundreds of years old. And we still have to be careful with copyrights and permissions because um, there's so many new renditions of these classic carols. But yeah, Feliz Navidad, I don't know if there's a whole lot of like content and history but man it's such a banger and we love it and i would still i would still give it our time you know if we if we could obtain the rights i, I am looking forward to jim's uh, theological like interpretation of Feliz navidad so whenever that happens i'm ready for it um on a more serious note the the first episode of this season breaks open carol of the bells I did not know before that it started as a Ukrainian folk song. And the amazing part of this episode is it's not just this deep history, but it connects to today and what's happening in Ukraine. So what did you learn making that episode? Yeah, I learned so much. I, too, didn't know that it was a Ukrainian folk song. It's actually about a little swallow that comes in the new year to bring bountiful things. So... As I was researching, and Jim was actually helping in this research process as he was writing the article for Carol of the Bells, we learned that Leontovich, who is the composer, had a fascinating life, but was also assassinated, was murdered um, in the 1920s. And that was before Carol of the Bells debuted here in New York City at Carnegie Hall, and before it really made a smash on the world stage. And so... Um, just learning that there was a really bloody and sort of bleak backstory there that really parallels what is happening in Ukraine today. We talk about Kerpertenko, who was a modern composer who was also assassinated um, just last year in his home for resisting to participate in a concert for essentially Russian propaganda. And so, yeah, once you start looking at these stories, you see that there are these undeniable parallels. Um, and that's something you can hear echoing in the song. And Jim, when you were researching and writing about this, I, I, I was struck by the connection also to the first Christmas, right? It is like this kind of terrifying time surrounded by, by violence and strife. Did this open up either either the song or or the Christmas story for you in a new way? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I'm not sure. I was so sort of thrown by the parallels to today from 100 years ago in Ukraine, in Russia. That was the thing. I really, gosh, I never really stepped back to the sort of broader sort of implications of the story like that. That's a great question. And as a, as a Jesuit and a priest, I probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we brought you on. And maybe I can just help out. I think that sometimes we think about the Christmas story as though it's just strung with lights and, you know, um, wrapped 
beautifully, but the reality is the first Christmas was also set against a backdrop of violence and uh, inequality and injustice. And I think we are called to examine where Christ is breaking into the world today. I mean, that that is why we celebrate Christmas. It's also striking, I guess, that so that's where Jesus's birth begins. But at the end of his life, it's the same thing. It hasn't changed. The Romans are still there. The same issues of oppression and violence, which which claim his life. I mean, it's and similarly, daunting. like the carol with the Carol the Bells, the parallels from the song's origin to to what's happening today is is really striking. I'm wondering if you could maybe just this will be a, a bit of a repeat for people that have heard this episode already, which I should remind listeners, they can go and listen right now yeah. um, and then come back and, <laughs> and join us for the rest of this conversation. But uh, how did it go from uh, a Ukrainian folk song into like the thing that we hear in advert, like a hundred Christmas ads every, every day? Uh, Jim, you start this, your article with uh, Carnegie Hall is sort of the, the focal point. This Carnegie Hall plays sort of two roles in the story. So basically, as Ukraine first became a country, which was for a pretty short time because there had been a revolution in Russia and that's what allowed Ukraine to sort of emerge as its own country. And then the Bolsheviks, they take over Russia and then or take power in Russia and then say, oh, we're taking Ukraine back. At the beginning of that period, uh, the, the sort of the nascent Ukrainian government sent a group of Ukrainian uh, singers to to sing Ukrainian songs all around Europe and also in the United States and North America with the intent of trying trying to build sort of interest in Ukraine and sort of like the soft cultural power tour of sorts. Exactly. So that when, as the UN was considering what's going to become of this situation and, and what's going to become of Ukraine, that these countries would say, that country is amazing. You should, and it will be in part be because of their music. So in about a, it's a hundred years ago today, uh, or not today, but this. Oh no, it was a hundred years ago, just a few days ago on December fourth. Yeah. The, uh, the the Ukrainian choir came to Carnegie Hall and performed, and among the songs that they performed was "Carol the Bells." That was sort of the favorite song in many places. Yeah, and it was a hit when when it when it was debuted at Carnegie Hall. I can help pick up the story. Yeah, yeah, do it. So after that, a composer who. Um, is living here in the New York City area, um, but I believe is also of Eastern European descent, Wolowski. Um, he's an educator and a choral director, and he hears Carol of the Bells. And of course, at the time, it was called Shedrick, um, the little swallow. And he doesn't think that he can convince his students to sing in Ukrainian. Um, so he gives us the English version, Carol of the Bells, and it's then picked up, um, but not initially. It's first rejected. And I, I love these like plot twists in the stories because we know this as a cherished favorite, but um, it was initially rejected and almost didn't make it onto the world stage. But um, it was purchased and he had some connections too to NBC. Yeah, right. He was in charge of the choir that would play, gosh, on an NBC, a famous or popular NBC sort of music show whose name I cannot remember because I've been drinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's that I was going to say. I'm wondering, um, just to step back from a specific song and look at a bigger picture of of Christmas carols. They're a ubiquitous part of our life from Thanksgiving to Christmas. But, you know, we don't really think about them. We just like <laughs> we just sing along. But like, why why do we love Christmas carols? What do they what do they bring to this season and and to like a, a life of faith? 
such a good question, and it's something that I have been meditating a lot on in producing Hark. It is just like such a true joy to spend time with these carols. And I think that any time that you make an intentional study of a poem, a song, scripture, whatever it is, like your appreciation for it only grows and deepens. And it's very easy to do with these songs. We've been singing them since we were kids, and they are works of art. I mean, many of them are just exquisite and beautiful. Some of them are really simple and repetitive, but, you know, they're earworms and they grab us nonetheless. And in a subtle way, I think they do some sort of spiritual evangelization work within us. I think it's pretty funny that regardless of your relationship to the church or the faith today, that most people still have a real soft spot in their hearts for these songs. Um, You don't actually even have to identify as Christian to enjoy singing them. And the story of Jesus and everything that unfurls in his life in the Gospels is present in these songs. So um, I really can't think of a better way to meditate on the Christmas story than to sing a carol. Singing is an experience, I think. It can sort of incarnate what it's saying. Mm. So you, you sing a song about the birth of Jesus and somehow in the singing of it or in the singing of it in a group, it's like you're there. It sort of brings about that sense. And it also brings about, you know, memories you might have of other times you sang it or times with family or, you know, other Christmases. So there's like, it's sort of, I don't mean, it's sort of an astounding thing that just by singing a song, like a two or three minute song, it can bring to the surface so much that is important and sort of transformative in our lives. It's almost like affective in the way that sacraments mm. are, right? In the way that we believe, right? It's, these aren't just like symbols or signs, right? Mm. Like they, they they affect what we, they, they also symbolize, right? I think that's true for a lot of music. And when it's connected with like a moment like the incarnation, it makes total sense that there would be like grace abounding there, I think. Yeah. One thing I know in preparation for this, I was just trying to like think, okay, like whatever, what are my favorite Christmas songs? And the kind of common thread was they were all kind of somber and like, you know, one actually has bleak in the in the title, in the mm. bleak midwinter. And I don't know, it's I was just that was striking to me because when I, you know, my general thoughts around Christmas is like, oh, joyful, presents, happy parties. But then when I looked at the songs that like I actually really love, they're they're much um uh, more subdued. Um, and I'm wondering if, if that struck you in the production of Hark of just like kind of like this sad undertone <laughs> behind yeah. these songs. Yeah. In the first episode, uh, we talked to kind of like a music scholar and musician uh, just about this great paradox that we find. Um, and there's a couple things I think going on. I mean, first, sometimes when we're granted permission to actually experience our feelings, be they hard or somber, um, there is this uplift. There's um, kind of like a cathartic release that happens, and that can leave us feeling maybe not cheerful, but integrated and whole, Um, like we've had a a chance to digest what is really difficult in our lives. So one, I think there's just something to be said about sad songs. And then secondly, the Christmas story is so much richer than Jingle Bells. And I think we all know that. Um, so to have songs that represent the gravity of the story we're attempting to tell makes sense. 
It's funny. Like this is some years ago, I wrote an article for America about being melancholy at Christmas hmm. and, and, and sort of enjoying that, which then <laughs> my mom was very upset. She's like, you need to come home more Christmases. She sort of felt like indicted by it. But it was like, no, I actually like I think I think that. The Christmas season, both the secular season, at least in the Northern Hemisphere where it's winter and it's supposedly cold, um, and also the, the liturgical, sort of the way we understand it as Christians, like it's all about the not yet. Yeah. It's all about something we're longing for. And even and the birth of Jesus is an important moment in that, and, and we celebrate it, but even that is still a not yet. It's not the it's not the full thing, it's not the kingdom that that the the adult Jesus will promise. It's like it's we're still yearning, we're still reaching. And I, I love that. I love that sense of of pining, of yeah, of longing for something more. Speaking of things we are longing for to come still. People are hearing this on the twenty third, which means they will have heard um four episodes of the season, right? So Carol the Bells, Good King Wenceslas, and in in you know, if there are production delays, because we're recording this on December 8th. So if the yeah. song changes, don't yell at us or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. But you're on Carol and in the bleak midwinter, and you've got a final secret yes. episode coming out tomorrow, right? On December 24th? Yes. All right. So we won't spoil that now. Okay. But oh my should. God, but what's it about though? <laughs> it's about <Can> Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's going out the bang. I was say that. Um, Fair enough. And so... People should go listen to season two of Hark. It's available wherever you're listening to this. But I want to take a moment to just kind of pivot away from from the show specifically and go around the horn here a little bit. And maybe we could, question one, I would love to hear everybody's least favorite Christmas song to get a little grinchy before we, we turn yeah. it back around. Okay. Who well, wants to start? Uh, yeah, I'll start. Um, I don't think this will ever be featured on Hark, so I'm pretty confident in saying Grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> I almost was going to pick yeah. that today. Yeah. I, there's nothing redemptive in that song for me. Did you like it at any point as a child? <laughs> no, I probably thought it was funny I, and odd. Maybe that's the, yeah. that's the point is to make kids kind of Like when I was an eight-year-old boy, when those eight-year-old boys are the worst, um, yeah. I did like it. I did enjoy it. Really? What do you like about it then? It's funny and irreverent. And, yeah. Uh, it's like sort of like the Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but you don't like it now. No, no, I find it very distasteful. I'm still an eight-year-old boy in very many other ways, but, <laughs> but that's the only way I think I've changed. Uh, Jim, do you have a least favorite Christmas song? So I, I'll give you one that's secular and one that's liturgical. Liturgical is more general. Secular, I don't like Do They Know It's Christmas. Mm. Oh, wait. How does that one go? Do they know it's Christmas oh. time? So that was a song that was it was the that's the it was a song written with or uh, composed with like a million different famous musicians and singers that was r raising money for uh, I think it was for it was for hunger uh, in Africa because there was a terrible drought. Uh, so the purpose was great, but it's a song. It's the lyrics are really they can get really painful, and just the title. Do they know it's Christmas? Like. It's so just immediately like, yeah, very yeah. cringy. And it gets there. There, Yeah, there are some. I still feel like the answer is like, probably. I mean, why wouldn't they? It's yeah. the same world that we're all living in. And uh, there's a part where they're like, where there, there's like a lyric about, uh, you feel lucky that it's them and not you yeah. that's dealing oh God, with so certain funny. suffering. It's like, oh, my God, what is happening in this yeah. song? So not a fan. Um, put it away. Uh, liturgically, I I don't like any song that the whole group can't sing. Mm. Like I I can't stand it at Christmas time when the choir like gets to do some song that no one else can well, what sing. What about Carol? I was like the bells. like maybe Carol. The oh, 
I actually find Carol the Bells is usually, at least where my parents are and I usually go to for Christmas, it's only with bells. There's no singing at all. It's just it's, the instrumental. Yeah. yeah. But I like, again, this is something of a, of a uh, subtweet of my parents' parish, but, um, but not really. It happens in a lot of places. That, like because the choirs, they work so hard for Christmas, they want a big moment. And I totally appreciate that, but Christmas is not the day for it. Christmas is not a day for solos, in my opinion. It's a day no. where everyone should be able to sing together. Yeah, hot. that's just me. And I, maybe that's a hot. I take. think that's a hot take, and opinions are divided on that. <laughs> what a diplomatic way! <laughs> I'm saying no, <laughs> no. Incorrect. Well, you know what? It's just, it's just because I've been talking to all of these really well-versed composers, sure. and when I'm like, I can't sing this song, they're like, Maggie, you're not meant to, and like. It's almost better that you don't. <laughs> and, but I do think there, I, you know, I, I think there is a distinction between just create art that we're meant to enjoy and then art that we're meant to co-create. Mm, Ashley. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, what, what are you going to tear down? In the spirit of being a true Grinch, uh, <laughs> the drummer boy. Wow. Oh, oh man. And it gets worse. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I go to the, my family always goes to the family mass on Christmas Eve. Um, and there's oh a, there's a youth choir I knew, that oh my God. is not, it's. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> like, I think they practice once before. <laughs> sure. And there's not enough of them. Because they have, like, one drummer boy. <laughs> they don't even have a drummer, so they're just singing. Yeah. And um, there's so many verses. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just not great. You know, it was it was really nice hosting the podcast with you, but I think you're going to get canceled. <laughs> <for that. laughs> Coal in your stocking. <laughs> All of the above. I right. have to admit that as a grade schooler, I played the drum, and I'm pretty sure that I was in some yeah. pageant playing the drum I'm as sure the it little was good drummer when you boy. Did it. Well, <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. Oh, man. So apologies to the youth choir of St. So-and-So's Parish. <laughs> oh, man. What about you, Zach? Um, I'm going to make some people mad with this, too, I think. Anything Pentatonix does, Ooh. cut it out. I'm over it. I'm over it. it. It's too showy, rock anthem-y. It's, it's sapped all of the spirituality out of any of these, any of these things. Like, yeah. I'm done with it. Pentatonics, you had your moment. It was fun. How do you feel about Trans-Siberian Orchestra? Also, also out. <laughs> also out. I'm out. Anything? I went to one of their concerts. Wow. Once. It, was in, it was like three hours long. <laughs> and it's so weird. They have like this whole the play that shows. goes around. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm done. Like the, especially like yeah. their rendition of Carol the Bells. It's mm. just, it's like infiltrated. Mm -hmm. Like that's like mm. the thing that most people think of now. And I, yeah. I, think, yeah. that's, that's I think we are all worse off for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are our, before, we don't want to leave you with <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, is there a follow-up? There is, there is. I do want to, so this is moving beyond songs, and I would love to just go go around again. Um, I'll start this one to give everyone some time to think. Uh, your favorite Christmas movie. So, ooh, deep size all around. I have I'll, so many. I'll go, I'm going to pick one. It's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's hands down my favorite Christmas movie of all time. Um, watch it every year. I, I feel like it just like gets into the to the dynamics of the insanity of the holiday season like so well the the craziness of family that just shows up and you know of course we have more room more towels more everything come on in um it, but also it comes around it really does focus on the meaning of the season so that's mm -hmm. go to for me all right this is 
the first thing that came to mind is The Nightmare Before Christmas. The beauty oh, of it is it's also a Halloween movie, so you can watch it nice. for three months. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's true. <laughs> That's how Disney does their yeah. the Haunted Mansion. Um, three months is The Nightmare. Yeah, I love that movie, and it's been a great joy this year to see my two-year-old niece fall in love with this movie. She mm. She watched it like a good 20 times in the lead up to Halloween and then was Jack Skellington for Halloween. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. And it was adorable. <laughs> uh, Jim, what do you got? Okay, so... Uh, Should we do ours on the count of three? Is it the same? <laughs> it's gotta be the same. <laughs> All right. I was ready? gonna mix it up today, but if okay. I... Okay, you ready? One, One two, two, three. three. Love, Love Actually! actually. Wow. <laughs> 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 All right, so we'll let you guys tag team this. Um, because this is a controversial opinion. I just found out that our is colleague it? Michael Lachlan hates the movie. Yeah. So Which, we'll that's such a strong for, word. Yeah, yeah. I think he does. I, I know. I, yeah. I, uh, um, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm well, worried. Mike so, isn't here on Mike. We'll, so, so we'll invite Michael Lachlan just... back later to give the rebuttal. But maybe you could just say what makes this a great Christmas movie. All right. I'll, I'll give one. Uh, for me, it's because there are a million stories. Mm. And, and part of what that means is that every year, there's something else that's going to pop out. Not because I didn't notice it before, but probably more because where I'm at before. Although the one story that is always there for me is the Emma Thompson, Ellen Rickman story. Hmm. Her standing in Wait, front of the, the bed. Sister? It's the uh, So Wait, no. Emma Thompson's married to Ellen Rickman. Yeah. He's somewhat cheating on her with yes. the with secretary. secretary. Uh-huh. Or it's like headed that way. It's yeah. not good. Why is he doing that? Yeah. And she figures it out. And then she stands in her room listening to Joni Mitchell in front of the bed. It is just devastating. I can, I, I mean, that, I, I'll start crying if I talk about it too much, so I should probably stop. And then, like, but pulls it together for the kids. She and... does, because they have to go to the Christmas Eve pageant, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, oh. It, uh, just clarification. Do you think it's a great Christmas movie or a great movie? Like, does how does that connect to Christmas? I mean, it's, it's I think. Christmas time. <laughs> I think it's a movie about love, and Christmas is all about love, isn't all right. it? Didn't our, didn't our Lord you love purist. us? Our little baby Jesus, didn't he love us? I think what our <laughs> listeners need to know is that when we were just prototyping Hark, Jim and I did this experiment on Mike where we tried to do this theological analysis of All I Want for Christmas is You. And by Mariah Carey. By Mariah Carey. Oh, my and God. And Jim really just wanted to talk about the Olivia version. Olsen. Olivia Olsen. The Olsen. real yeah. version. Uh, that she does at the end in the great you know, school performance. And um eleven year old musical genius, I mean, Olivia Olson. All I can say is we never aired that experiment. God, totally cut. <laughs> totally cut. I don't know if we have um a, you know, a lot of great justification for loving this movie, but that's the favorite Christmas movie. Uh, that's my favorite Christmas right. movie. Watch yeah. it every year. Um, well, thank you both for joining us for drinking my made-up cocktail. Um, <laughs> Thanks for serving it. Yeah, yeah of delicious. course. Um, we're going to let both of you go, but people should uh, make sure to, at the end of this episode, go listen to Hark. Yeah. And subscribe. Uh, and subscribe. You got to subscribe. Yes. Yes. There'll be another follow. season, I'm sure. Yep, oh, yeah. yep. Go listen to season one, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maggie, Jim, thank you both so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Cristobal Spielman. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundra. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. 
Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next year. Thank you.